a lot of people think you need to invent something new to create a unicorn, to create a billion-dollar company. You don't. I think it's really important not to confuse entrepreneur with inventor. You do not need to create something entirely new to be wildly successful. It's about seeing a client need, identifying a problem, and doing it better. Hey friends, welcome to The Good Life with Michelle Lamoureux, a show for women in midlife who want to live happier, healthier, and more meaningful lives. I'm your host, Michelle Lamoureux, a self-love coach and the author of Design a Life You Love, and together we're going to be doing just that. Each week I bring on world-class experts, best-selling authors, leading entrepreneurs, and also do solo casts with the intention of inviting you to get connected to what you really desire from your life. This show is produced with love every week. There's inspiration and actionable tips in every episode because I want to see women playing a starring role in their lives instead of living on the sidelines. Be sure to join the Good Life Community newsletter over at thegoodlifecoach.com for more inspiration and tips to live your best midlife. And make sure you're following the show on your favorite podcast player. I'm so glad that you're here. Hey friends, welcome back. It's Michelle Lamoureux. And today we're going to learn how to translate our passion into purpose and create something bigger than ourselves. And we are so fortunate to be learning from a self-made entrepreneur, Liz Elting. Liz is the founder and CEO of the Elizabeth Elting Foundation. She's an entrepreneur, business leader, linguophile, philanthropist, feminist, and mother. After living, studying, and working in five countries across the globe, Liz founded TransPerfect out of an NYU dorm room in 1992 and served as co-CEO until 2018. TransPerfect is the world's largest language solutions company with over $1.1 billion in revenue and offices in more than 100 cities worldwide. Liz has won numerous awards for her personal and philanthropic efforts and has been recognized as one of Forbes' richest self-made women every year since the list inception, which is truly incredible. Liz is the author of the book, Dream Big and Win, Translating Passion into Purpose and Creating a Billion Dollar Business. What an honor to have you on. Welcome, Liz. Thank you so much, Michelle. It's such an honor to be here. Well, it's an incredible story. I mean, when I was reading your book, I thought, how did she have the foresight and we'll get into what you created and in, in your thought process around it. But I was really blown away at um, your ability to crystallize a vision at such a young age. In the book you write, in the beginning, back when I shared at the NYU dorm room with a cat named Marbella, which you called Molly, right? right? And boyfriend and business partner named Phil and more cockroaches than I care to recall, I used to tell myself, I'd work today like no one else would, so I could live tomorrow like no one else could. I was like, that's incredible that you had that vision. So <laughs> say more about this. How did you just have that clarity? Well, thank you. Thank you so much for asking. And and it was my good fortune too. I was lucky too. So basically, I think what it was, was I was fortunate that what I loved, my passion happened to be something that was very much in need. And, and that's what led to my situation. But but to give you an idea of what happened is um, when I was young, 
I was fortunate to live uh, first in New York, Westchester, New York, and then when I was eight and nine, live in Portugal, and then from age 10 until college, live in Toronto. So I lived in three different countries. I studied four languages, learned I loved languages. And so by the time I went to college, I had found my passion. Not I just kind of stumbled upon it from loving languages. And, and actually what happened in college was, I remember sophomore year, I was so torn because I thought, well, I love languages, but I'm very ambitious. I want to be in business. How, how are languages practical? Because this was in the 1980s, the mid 80s. <laughs> I didn't know of how they could be practical. Yes. And I remember I called up, I called up my dad and I said, dad, the deadline for declaring majors is tomorrow morning. I don't know what to do because I love languages, but what on earth am I going to do with languages? Yes. And he said, just pursue your passion. Don't worry about it. You know, study what you love and the rest will take care of itself. So I was so happy to do that. I did my junior year of college in Spain, and then I worked in Venezuela after college due to my love for languages. And then after I came back from Venezuela, I was fortunate to find a job at a translation company, which at the time was the largest in the industry. This was in the late 1980s, and um, there were, it had about 90 people. And I thought, great, what a perfect way to combine my love for languages and my desire to, to be in business. Yes. So I worked there, yeah, for almost three years. And then I went back to school and got my MBA. And very briefly, and I'll share this with you just because I know your our listeners here are women and perhaps can relate to this situation, but got my MBA and I thought, hmm, okay. I need to be practical and I really should try out finance because I majored in finance and I went to NYU business school where 70% of the majors were finance and everyone wanted to go into investment banking. It was lucrative. It was exciting. So I thought I'll try that. So I was fortunate, I thought, to get a job at a French bank in the proprietary trading division. And I thought, what a perfect way to combine my love for that which is international with finance, French bank, <laughs> doing into equity arbitrage. As soon as I arrived, whenever the phone rang, everyone would yell, Liz, phone, because I was the woman. I was the only woman there, actually. And I thought, oh boy, <laughs> this environment is not for me. And this went on and on during my brief time there. But I also realized this was not my passion. Finance was a little dry for me. I did yes. not care for it. Yes. So at that, I, that was the time I had my kind of aha moment where I thought, wow, I had loved my time in the language industry between college and grad school. But what I didn't mention earlier is I thought it could be done better. I saw, had seen a real gap between what was available to clients in the industry as far as quality, service, and a one-stop shop. And what they needed. So I thought, I am not happy in this environment. It's very sexist. And I don't have a passion for finance. I'm just going to quit and create my dream company, which is the right kind of environment and where I'm pursuing my passion languages and, and really making practical use out of them. So that is what led me to, to starting the company out of the NYU dorm room. It's so incredible, but also you did have a big vision 
And it's interesting because your dad gave you encouragement. I mean, he said, follow your passion and everything will sort of unfold. Did you just have that belief system? And and what made your vision so big? Because you didn't just want to be another translation company. You said, you know, you talk about in your book, there was plenty of, you know, mom and pop shops or, you know, people, but you had an international like leader. You were going to be the leader in this space. You're right. You're right. I thought to myself, if I'm going to do this, start a translation company, how can I just start any translation company? I just got my MBA in finance from NYU. We just spent a lot of money on that. And I can't just start some little company, not not that there's anything wrong with a little company. I mean, but I, I thought I'm very ambitious. I'm willing to work as hard as I need to. And I want to create the biggest. So that was that was my thought. I thought if I'm going to do it, I want to, you know, dream big. I mean, it's sort of, you know, yeah, I mean, that was the thought process. And so that was really what I was thinking. And I thought it was a great time to do it. I was young and single. So I didn't have a husband at the time. I didn't have kids. So I was ready to put in the hours. And certainly it's a lot easier to do that when you love what you're doing. And um, so that's why. Why it's, I, it's, I, I did it that way. It's incredible. And it's such a good story. And we're going to get into more of it. But you know, you did dream big. And that's obviously the title, but it was dream big and win. And you did win. So tell us, why did you choose to write this book? And who are you hoping it will influence? So the reason I wrote the book, and this this was actually a big, a big reason. I mean, there were multiple reasons. But the biggest reason was, when we started the company, I was 26. And I read every business book I could get my hands on, but they, the authors didn't look like me. They were written by, by men. Um, they, I could not relate to them in any way. And then also I wanted, um, you know, there was nothing personal. There was nothing kind of accessible or authentic about the books. They were much more how to dry. But so I thought I would have loved to have had a book like this when I started my company, both with a a founder that I could relate to and with a lot of tips on what they did right and what they did wrong. And I certainly did so much wrong. I did. I mean, I started, as I said, when I was 26, when I just had three years of experience and I, I made a lot of mistakes and I learned a lot along the way. And I wanted to share that. And I love helping women, supporting women, you know, make helping empower them. And so I thought, what a, a great way to do it. I do speak about entrepreneurship, but I wanted to share some of my lessons in a book. So that's a big part of why I did it. And then finally, um, you know, it's still very tough for women, as we all know, in the workplace, in business. And it's going to be hard to change it. We're not going to be able to change it anytime soon. It could take many, many years because of systemic issues. So I thought, well, if women are encountering encountering them, and, and many women are, yes. then why don't I kind of put in front of them the idea of go create your own environment without these issues where you are making creating the rules and you are in charge. And so that's you know another reason why I did it. And and finally I think, you know, there's no better time to be an entrepreneur. I really do believe that. So I want to encourage women entrepreneurs. Yes. And I definitely took that message away from the book. I mean, you do make it clear in it that, you know, go do your thing, you know, do your thing. And you do give us the roadmap for it. I mean, 
the sales strategy. I mean, everything, <laughs> the boundaries, the contracts you should have into place. I mean, you really cover the gamut. But what I did also so appreciate was hearing your story. I mean, just your parents' influence on your life, your different experiences, learning multiple languages. I mean, and how I kind of think of it as like a through line that sometimes you have to be further along in the journey to look back to just to see how perfectly those different experiences in your life got you to where you are. Do you think about absolutely. that? Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, I guess it's why I couldn't have written it years ago because mm. I didn't know what I know now. We we learn along the way. We learn from our mistakes and you're right. Now it all makes sense. So I completely agree with what you're saying. And yes, and I do share a lot of what I learned from my parents and, and the values I was brought up with, because I think that's such an important part of creating a successful business, having the right core values. And often, you know, the business's core values are aligned with the founder's core values. And I think that's actually a critical part of what can make a company successful. Yeah. And you were mindful of a lot of those pieces. So let's, let's actually, since you mentioned the core values, because I did want to touch upon that, I know integrity is big for you. What were the core values that you were aligned with as you were moving forward and building your company and that well, you obviously live your life by? Yes. Well, certainly integrity is number one. Um, okay. Well, quality, results, teamwork, um, urgency, financial responsibility, service. You know, it's very important. And then if you you hire people with those values and you tell them, okay, when you're trying to make a decision on what to do and there isn't a clear answer, no one's told you before and there's no one to ask, just follow follow the core values of the company and then then it it should work out. Yeah. You tell a funny story. Was it Tammy who wouldn't empty the trash? <laughs> tell us about oh, Tammy. Yes. But no, this is a good example of like, you know, in terms of when you're hiring the mindset and aligning with Absolutely. values. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. When I tell the story about her, yes, she, she was one of our, our probably original five employees and we needed someone who happened to be fluent in Spanish. We needed a great Spanish linguist. And she was, she was from Argentina and she was fluent in English and, and Spanish and could translate. And that's all wonderful. She had the skills, but she didn't have the right attitude. She was unwilling to empty the trash. And there we were, we were in an executive suite, which as you probably recall, Michelle, those were, you know, when you didn't, you couldn't quite pay for a full-fledged office. It was a tiny suite and we needed to empty our own garbages there. And I was doing it. My business partner was doing it and our other couple employees were doing it. And she just said, no, no, I, I don't empty trash. And that kind of told us she's probably not right for this company Yeah, because obviously we all had to do what was ever whatever was necessary. And so, yes, that was, um, yes, an interesting situation where you learn it's not just skills, it's attitude. And actually attitude can be even more important as long as people have a threshold level of intelligence and a skill set, then it's about attitude. Yes. Cause you can coach around attitude, right? If the skills aren't yes. there, you can coach around skills. If the attitude is there. Absolutely. If they're willing to learn, you know, if they're in, if they have a propensity to learn, if they're curious, then they can learn it. I mean, so many types of business you go in there. If you have 
basic skills, basic level of intelligence, and then the attitude and the propensity to learn. You can learn any type of business, regardless of whether you've had the experience. And that was critical. And then, of course, you know, being proactive and being resilient and all these other very important qualities. Yeah. One of the things that really kind of blew me away was you were very clear that you didn't want to take on outside investors to, to scale a company to what it is today. Did you take, did you have, how, how did you figure out how to, to manage that? Because capital is so important in the early days and all in throughout this cycle, I guess. I mean, I know you were very smart about it, but so, and did you, were there any like maybe small business loans or credit cards? Like, how did you approach that? Because it, you were so savvy about it. And I was like, I think that's the position most founders want to be in. And at some point they just start getting strapped for cash and, you know, they're, they're course correcting quickly because of that. Right. No, you're right. And that is the number one reason companies go out of business because they run out of cash. And so we knew above all, we needed revenue. Now, I understand a lot of people focus on getting cash. I mean, either a loan or or getting an equity infusion. But in in my case, I didn't want to do that because I didn't want to spend my time writing a, a business plan and my time going out getting potential investors or getting investors or getting debt, bringing in debt. Partially, I didn't want to spend the time on it. Secondly. I'm not really a believer in borrowing money. If you can help it, I've always avoided that um, my entire life. Just personally, I don't care for it. And then as far as investors, I wanted control. So instead, what we did is where a lot of entrepreneurs now focus on getting investors in the early days, we focused on selling, selling, selling from day one. And it was all about that. Uh, as you probably recall from the book, 300 phone calls a day, 300 letters a day to bring in those first projects that turn convert to multiple projects and the multiple projects from a client convert to relationships. But it was just intense focus on business development to bring in revenue, to pay to get the translations done. And then the profit just gets reinfused in the company. And I think if entrepreneurs can do that, I mean, it, it obviously is preferable because I see now so many focus on getting the funding. First of all, it can take an enormous amount of time and it's very difficult to do. But then in the end, you still need the revenue and you still need the profit. So if you can find a way to do it with outside funding and outside debt, that much better. Now, as far as your question... I had a few thousand dollars in the bank, my life savings from when I started work. I started work when I was 10. I had all kinds of jobs over the years and then did get a $5,000 credit card advance. So that that was really the extent of it. But um, if you can find a way, you know, if entrepreneurs can find a way to do it with laying out minimal cap capital, it's really great because then that's the culture of the company. And that was our company culture for years and years and years being very frugal and not spending money that we didn't have. And that is very much how we grew the company. And I think when you have outside investments, sometimes an entrepreneur might be too quick to to spend that money. Yeah. You, you call it like vanity versus sanity. <laughs> oh yeah. Re revenue, Re yeah. vanity, profit is san sanity. And I guess that really applies to funding. Funding is really vanity, right? You, people say, oh, you know, I got... 50 million worth of funding. We actually at one point acquired a company 
that had had something like $82 million worth of funding and only a million dollars in revenue. And we were able to acquire it for a million dollars. So that's an example of, you know, all that funding into the company, but the value wasn't there. And that's why it's really so important to focus on the revenue and the profit simultaneously from day one. And that was really where our focus was. And I think if entrepreneurs can do that, it's so much easier to grow the company. Needs to happen more slowly, but that's okay uh, because you know you're doing it profitably and and that's a great way to grow a company. Absolutely. I mean, and it's not maybe always the case. I had Stacy Madison on from Stacy's Pita Chips who sold oh. her company to Pepsi and they never took, they didn't have outside funding either. I think there was like maybe a small loan and her brother got involved and, you know, in nine years they scaled it. And I just think, I think that is the dream, but it's not always, always possible. Right. Oh, absolutely. And I, yes. And I know it can be harder in this day and age because of technology. And so the startup costs can, can be higher. So, but if it can be done, it's a wonderful way to go. Hundred percent, and I love that you had that vision and you stuck to it because I think at some point it could be easy to be like, let's just try to get, you know, a couple million in the door and then you know scale this faster. But you were slow and steady to win the race. Yes, yes, <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> I'd love to get into some sort of you know lessons learned that the women can walk away with. Um, you know, each of your chapters starts with a verb. <laughs> And you write that actions are more important than mantras. And you say why doing will always eclipse dreaming. So tell us more about the importance of action versus this idea that we're just going to mantra our way into a, a better existence. Right, right. Well, because a lot of people talk about, you know, dreaming and dreaming big. And that's why it's not just about dreaming because we can all dream, but it's about really following through what actions do you need to take to accomplish your dream? Yes. And yes. And it's all about, and, and by the way, you know, we all encounter people who say things like, I want to create this great new app, right? Or this uh, company that is a great fashion brand or, and it's a global brand. But what I believe in doing is really breaking it down into goals with deadlines. Yes. And yes, that, that doesn't sound so sexy, but basically, literally, goals and deadlines, um, daily goals, weekly goals, monthly goals, quarterly goals, annual goals. And that's what we did. And we did it, you know, as I mentioned, you know, with 300 letters a day, 300 phone calls a day to, to reach the people who needed translation services. And then it was a certain revenue number a month that we had to get to um, in a in a year, in the first year. And then another example is when it was time to open offices, I said to myself, what if I had a boss? What would I present to the boss? The boss would expect some plan. So I said, okay, let's say we're going to open one office every quarter. So April 1st, San Francisco. Uh, July 1st, Chicago, uh, September 1st, you know, um, Atlanta, and so on. Goals, but not just hiring a bunch of salespeople. Instead, saying things like, okay, we're going to hire a salesperson. And if that person sells $50,000 a month for three consecutive months, then we can hire a second salesperson. 
And then if those two hire, uh, those two, sorry, sell $120,000 a month for three consecutive months, we can hire a third salesperson and so on. So really making it so people aren't just out there doing, but they're doing with numbers attached with, you know, goals, with deadlines and requirements to, to add to the, their team or to their office. Yeah. So methodical. So would you start a year out and work back or would you start from the month and work out? Well, in the early days, it was monthly goals, right? Because yeah. as you know, a year is a long time in that <laughs> yeah. first year. But then over the years, it was, yes, annual goals. Yeah. And then breaking it down. Yeah. And then, and then as I said, with the offices, it was quarterly goals. Yeah. Opening okay. Offices. Um, yeah. And you talked about, um, and this was one of my favorite takeaways, what you talked about was the goal setting, but in, but having accountability. How important do you think a mentor is? It seems that there's a lot of talk about, you know, you need a mentor, you need somebody, you know, what are your thoughts on that? How important yeah. really is it? Is it? Over the years, I felt like I, I watched a lot of people who I admired, who I thought were doing things well, people in business or relatives who happened to have interesting jobs. And I would ask a lot of questions yes. and then I would emulate what I thought each of them was doing right. Mm. So it wasn't necessarily one person I had to go to. Yes, And I think a lot of people don't have one person. Instead, exactly. it's a case of finding a number of people and mm. looking at what you admire in each of those people and emulating it. And that's pretty much how it has worked for me. Love that. Okay. So it's not that you need one. And do you think that a book, podcast, like wherever you're getting the inspiration, I mean, are there other ways? I'm just thinking because it seems that you were very adept at understanding what was going to work and trying things. You know, you just seem to have such crystal vision about things. And I think a lot of people might have the dream, but they don't know how to get there. So, well, you know, we did, we did plenty of things wrong too, along the way. So it yes. was a lot of trial and error. And yes. I think that, that probably can happen to any entrepreneur, but certainly someone who starts in their twenties, who's had minimal work experience. So it was, you know, as I said, a lot of trial and error, realizing what worked and what didn't. And yes. I think that's the best way to go. It's a, it's a learning by doing situation. I yeah. mean, same way when you go to school, there's a lot you can learn, but until you're in there on the job doing, yes. you don't necessarily pick things up. And then often the best lessons are from our mistakes. Yes. So there was plenty of that. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. Can you share one of the biggest lessons you learned along the way? Well, certainly in the early days, um, we worked so hard on bringing business in because as I talked about sales, 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 we had to bring that revenue in to pay the bills. But then what happened is we needed people in production to take the projects from start to finish. And the the hours could be very long for them. And mm. They could be in a situation there where, where they're pulling all-nighters and it was too much. And it can be hard to find people, especially when you're a young company, a yeah. startup, and you don't have that much you can offer as far as benefits and you're self-funded. So I remember we would try to keep the people we had and we would pay them more, but we didn't have necessarily enough people. And so people would burnt out, burn out and, and we would give them bonuses, but they would still burn out. And I think we learned from that, no matter how much you pay people, yeah. You, they still need their work-life balance. They still need their time. 
And because in the early days, as I said, we had people in there and we thought, okay, they're working hard. We don't have others, you know, in the pipeline. So we're going to just keep giving these people more money, but they're not going to work a hundred hours a week yeah. and and that's normal and nor should they. So we lost a lot of people. There were a lot of people who were burnt out. And so then we learned other ways to deal with it, like um, having um, shifts. So, you know, three different shifts, you know, so smart. that people could, yeah, so they could cover for one another. That's really within smart. a time zone. Yeah. And then as we opened offices, we had coverage in the other offices. So if they were in a different time zone, they smart. could turn the work over to them. And then other things like comp days, right? If they yes. work. Yeah. So there were a lot of things that we learned from our mistakes, from our losing people in the early days, yeah. because we hadn't figured out that the money wasn't going to keep them. Yeah. Even if we gave them some nice bonuses. Yeah. Now you, as a co-founder though, when you had your sons, you were not able to afford to give yourself that same ability of having somebody come in and cover for you. So tell, tell us, share that story too. Cause I was like, Oh my God, let's. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was, you know, it was a, not a good situation because I did have both my boys and I had not one day of maternity leave. And, and it, this is not what anybody should do. I think you need to make sure you have a situation and a setup whereby when you go, a person goes on maternity leave, you have someone to jump in and pick up whatever you have. In my case, I did not have that situation. And of course it's succession planning, but it happens whether you are the founder, the co-owner or any role you are, you have to have someone so that when you go on maternity leave, they can take over for three months or six months or however long, or if you if they get hit by a the proverbial bus, right? You if you need someone to step in there. So succession planning is so important. And I think in the early days of a company, that can be hard to create. Yeah. But it's critical because I mean, even at the time when I went on maternity leave, I mean, I think the first time, or I didn't go on maternity leave, sorry, I couldn't. We yeah. had 150 people and I just still didn't have the right backup. So the point wow. is. It seems so clear and obvious now. Yeah. But nobody should be indispensable. Everybody has to have someone who can cover for them and who you trust to cover for you. Because because that can be a situation with owners too. They may not have that necessarily, but it's critical or else you won't have what you need, whether it's because you're having kids or you have a health issue or whatever it is. Yeah. So important. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you talked about how you had the babies like on a Friday and we're back, was back, we're back to the office by Monday. I mean, that's a lot. And I think maybe that's what you're talking about, like growing yes. with the company. So when you were single and just putting in the hundred hours a week, it was one thing. And then you got married and then you had the kids. And so you were growing your business and growing your family and navigating all of that, which I think a lot of the women are going to relate to because there's no perfect formula. I mean, we're all just figuring it out as we go. Right. If you have a partner, make sure you're on the same page as far as those types of things. Um, you want to see eye to eye on things like family leave and, and pretty much every other big issue too. And there, as you know, in a business and for years and years, there are many, many issues. So you want to have the same way of viewing those types of things. And then also you, another lesson that I learned that I, I share is 
in addition to having the same outlook on those things, be careful about being 50-50 owners. I do not recommend being a 50-50 owner because then when you don't agree, which can happen every day, how you know how how are you going to break the tie? And if you don't have a very clear way with a board of directors, board of advisors, tiebreaker, then it doesn't work. And so one person should be clearly in charge. And ideally, it's you, (laughs) or in in my case, me, me. So yes, I think that's critical as well. And then the other thing I do talk about in my book is the shareholders agreement, making sure you have a proper shareholders agreement in place to address issues such as roles, responsibilities, what happens in the event of death, disability, divorce, how decisions are made, and then, you know, an exit strategy. If one of you wants to exit and the other doesn't, and how will the company be valued? All of that is critical. Um, and even if you don't have a lot of money when you start the company, which was definitely the case with us, you need a proper shareholders agreement. So as a result, I say to people that is the first place money needs to go. Um you know, more important than pretty much anything, you know, a proper shareholders agreement, oh my God. the right issues are, are defined, you know, all the things I said. Um, and, you know, it's just incredibly important. And then be careful about uh, who the other owners are and who's in charge <laughs> and you want to be in charge. Let's give something hopeful for the women. I mean, you talk about a silver bullet in the book about what it takes to create success and win big. What's the what is that silver bullet? Oh, well, I think I really think it's 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 hard work over a sustained period of time. I mean, over a long, yeah, I think, you know, and combining it with passion. Because if you love what you're doing, you can you can work harder. And of course, you want to do it with people you like and you want to create a great environment. But in the end, I, I don't think, you know, there's one silver bullet I, other than hard work over a lengthy period of time. And I think that's what you hear from, from everybody who who achieves a certain level of success. I mean, but another kind of positive uh, thing to point out is a lot of people think you need to invent something new to have to create a unicorn to create a billion dollar company you don't i think it's really important not to confuse entrepreneur with inventor you do not need to create something entirely new to be wildly successful it's about seeing a client need identifying a problem and doing it better yeah and you know i think that's really what we did I mean, we were not the only translation company at the time. Yeah. As I may have mentioned, there were 10,000 other translation companies. 10,000? Yes. When we started in 1992, there were 10,000. And then years later, when I sold in 2018, there were tens of thousands. So they were, <laughs> now, as you, as you mentioned, Michelle, there were a lot of moms and pops, a lot of smaller companies, yeah. not, but not huge, huge companies, but there were bigger companies as well. So the point is 10,000 companies. So the point is lots of companies doing what we were doing, but it's about doing it better and finding ways, whether it's, um, you know, better service, better quality, one-stop shop and different product offerings that clients need that you anticipate before they know they need them, you know, things like that. So again, not not being an inventor, just being an entrepreneur who sees a need and fills that need. 
Yes. And you talked about, let's say, so some of the women, a lot of the women who work, uh, who listen to the show are like C-level, they're lawyers, they're partners, right? And, you know, they're, they're at the top of their game. Um, but then you also have the women who pulled themselves out of the workforce. Yeah. And so regardless, I think whether they're busy at work trying to build, I don't know, a nest egg or at home trying to f- figure out where their North Star is, they're so busy in the doing that they haven't actually figured out that North Star. So if somebody does have a dream that they've tucked away, what is the what is the fuel to that rocket ship that's going to get them going? Is it the is it the working hard? I mean, wh- how do they launch? Yeah, I think it's it's figuring out what they want to do and then finding a way to apply it where they can make some make money, quite frankly, where there's a need in the business world for it. You know, which is I mean, languages, you know, obviously it was clear there was a need to help the world communicate with the globalization of business, but whatever it is, finding a business need related to their passion and then going all in. I'm such a believer in going all in because I found with our situation, I mean, you do need to put other things aside when you're in the early days, when you're building the company, if you want to grow it into a big company. Yes. So, and, that, and But that can be fun and interesting because you're learning and you you love what you're doing and you're meeting interesting people and you're bringing on people with that same passion. And um, so I think that's very important. And um, and it's exciting to, to grow it. So, But again, I think it's hard work with the right people and being incredibly service-oriented, figuring out what your clients need and delivering it. And then when you have employees, asking them for their ideas and implementing them, I think that's a critical part of a successful company. Um, so, so all of these things. And, and then the last thing I'll say is building a proper sales team. Because so often when people start companies, this the founder slash CEO is the chief salesperson, is sometimes the only salesperson or sometimes the head salesperson. But I, the reason we were able to grow to the size we were is we focused on building the largest sales team in the industry. Wow. And that was a huge part of why we were successful. And I think that's absolutely critical because there are a lot of entrepreneurs out there that I know, a lot of women entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs who have these wonderful ideas, but they are the salesperson. They have this terrific back-end solution, but they don't have the big sales team. And that's how you really scale it. So I think that's critical as well. I love it. They're working in their business, not on their business. Exactly. Yeah. I've heard that phrase. Um, But it's so true. (laughs) It's so true. Well, any daily habits you have now, like anything that you do to foster success, I think success habits or even mindset shifts that somebody needs to make are always really interesting to hear. Yeah. Well, I think it's, you know, it's about having goals and then, you know, sticking to your goals, not finding excuses not to do them. I mean, for me, you know, I make sure I walk at least five miles a day and and sometimes a lot more, sometimes it's 10 and, and it's a lot easier in a place like New York, Manhattan, right? But but that's to, to make sure I get my exercise, I have to do at least that. So having that's part of my daily routine. I think being curious is so important. And you may recall, I talk about that a good amount in the book, because I think it's so critical. I think you want to be around curious people, you want to be curious yourself, you want to hire curious people. And I think that's so important. That's how we 
we we grow. Yes. And I think it makes life more interesting. So yeah. that's important. And then of course, being positive. We all do our best to be as positive as, as we can and and life is good. You know, as long as we have our our health, we're we're all so fortunate. One hundred percent. We've covered a lot. Is there anything that I didn't ask though that you want to leave the women listening with today? Just you know, I as you know, I believe in pursuing your passions and and you know, going big or going home, like going after your dreams. <laughs> and you know, it's it's not too late to start. It's not too early to start. There are advantages of doing it when you're young. As I said, you're young, you're single, you don't have kids. And that's great. But also a great time to do it is when you're an empty nester and you're ready for that next phase. And, you know, maybe before you were busy with bringing up your kids and you had to always worry about some someone else and, and getting that all done. And now this is your time and and it can be fun and exciting. And I just highly recommend everybody pursues their dreams because it's it it's really wonderful. And and we need more wonderful women entrepreneurs out there. We certainly do. I think that is going to make the world a better place. I mean, I think economic power is social power, social power is political power. And I think we all need to create our best lives for ourselves and for the world as a whole. So we want more women out there doing their thing. 100%. Agree with that 100%. Um, Liz, what does living a good life mean to you? Well, I think it's having great relationships with, you know, your friends, you know, having lots of friends and connections because that's so important and it's so fulfilling. And and the same thing with your family, so great relationships with your friends, with your family. Um I think pursuing your passion or your dream and having a purpose ideally and then finally giving back and giving back however you can you know whether it's your time or your money or both but i think those things just create a really full life so i guess that's what i i, I would say to that thank you um where can people find you do you like to hang out online and 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 get access to the book where's the best place oh, to sign thank up thank you thank you for asking michelle so dream big and win the book is on amazon um yep dream big and win amazon it's uh, i also have a website lizelting.com i also have a website for my foundation which is elizabethelting.foundation.org and then i am on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. And it's Liz Elting or at Liz Elting, you know, as the case may be. Yes. And to make it easy for everyone, all of the show notes will be over at thegoodlifecoach.com. I'll have links to Liz's book, all of her social media handles. And I just have to just emphasize that this book covers everything you need to make your company a success while also teaching us how to create a meaningful life. And I appreciate the stories you shared and letting us know you more and all of your experiences that you had and how we can connect our passions to purpose and really live our best life. I'm so grateful to you. And everyone really should pick up this book, even if you're not going to start a company. Maybe it'll encourage you to like believe in yourself and follow a different dream that doesn't have to monetize, you know, but bring more of you back into your life. Yes, I love that. Thank you, Michelle. That I, I really appreciate that. And yes, agreed. It's to inspire you no matter what you're doing, no matter what your dream is, whether it's building a, a small company, a big company, or pursuing 
a philanthropic pur- purpose because yes. I, I talk about that as well. So yes, it's just living your best life. And, in, and that's what we, that's what would make me so happy if, if, for you to do. So yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for your time and congrats on your amazing book. I know it's just going to, it's going to be in every business school. I can see it like everywhere. It needs to be a great, it's just such a great case study. So thank you so much for your generosity of your time and the beautiful work you've put out into the world. Oh, and thank you so much, Michelle. It was wonderful speaking with you. I've so enjoyed this. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I hope you gained some new information or inspiration for your life. That is that the essence of this show is to really wake up to what's possible for you to reclaim your beautiful voice and to really learn to love and prioritize yourself. So if you gained any value from any of the conversations you've tuned into, make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast player. You can do that right now on your phone. And please do consider leaving a rating and review if you have yet to do so on Apple Podcasts. It's actually how more women can find the show. And I really want to grow a community of women who are loving themselves and living full on. So thank you as always for tuning in. And I look forward to reconnecting with you next Wednesday. Bye for now. Mm -hmm.